0: Welcome to Pet Sitter Confessional, an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet insurance for your business is always a big priority and a major topic and causes a lot of confusion among people just getting started or how it changes with their companies. So today we are really excited to have Colleen Giles-Harris back on the show. She's with PetSitters Associates and she's here today to share some insights into how to get the most out of your insurance and some specific examples that come up from time to time. So Colleen, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh could you please tell our new listeners or people who haven't been listened to those episodes uh, in a while um who you are and what you do?
1: Hi, Colin. Thanks for having me back. Uh my name is Colleen Giles Harris and I underwrite and manage the insurance program for the Pet Sitters Associates Group. I sort of wear two hats. I work with the association to make sure that the members have the proper insurance coverages and the proper insurance options available for their businesses. And I also work with the insurance company to make sure that we're getting the right amount of premium for the program and working with them to make sure that the claims are being handled efficiently for the members of the association.
0: So when you say underwriter, because that term, I know you you are an underwriter, that is where you are designing the programs and the policies specifically for what the the members need. But also, you, you said talking back to the insurance companies, what is that interaction like, making sure that you are meeting their uh, requirements and so forth?
1: So as an underwriter, uh, typically what I do is work with the insurance company to create coverage forms and to create the necessary exclusions. A lot of times the program is just renewed year over year without any changes, but sometimes we'll have a claim and we'll realize that we were covering something that maybe we didn't mean to be covering. So we needed to tweak the wording, or maybe there's a new service that we are now wanting to be able to cover. So we want to add a new coverage um, or, We find out that there's something new out in the world, like when COVID happened, there was a new exclusion that had to go on. We've always excluded communicable disease, but it had to be um, changed a little bit to make it more clear of what communicable diseases were. So sometimes I'm working with the insurance company to tweak the actual coverage forms and also in regard to the premium. So at renewal time, our program renews annually every July Although members can join at any time throughout the year and their coverage corresponds with the effective dates on their member certificate. But the program itself renews every July. So usually in February or March, I start working with the association to determine if there's any changes that we feel are needed and how we're feeling about the premium at the association level. And then I reach out to the insurance company to discuss that process and uh, determine if we need to take a rate increase. You know nobody likes to have their insurance premium go up, but sometimes uh, the costs of claims go up. you know everything else in life is going up, right? So sometimes it is needed to take a rate increase on your insurance to make sure that the insurance company is getting the appropriate premium to cover the claims
0: right everything's in, in flux all the time, unfortunately, that's kind of where we we have to uh just embrace that sometimes and make sure that we do still have that that appropriate coverage. Uh, but there there are a lot of things about business insurance that kind of can be enigmas to some people. So I guess right off the bat here, what do you wish more people knew about business insurance?
1: Well, I guess just that they need it <laughs> would be the number <laughs> one thing. I think there's a misconception from a lot of people that their other insurance policies provide coverage for their businesses. So maybe that there's coverage within their homeowner's policy, for example. Some homeowners policies do provide some coverage for in-home businesses, either automatically or via an endorsement that can be purchased for extra premium. That's usually like 99% of the time, not enough for a pet care business. Usually that's going to be good for something like maybe your creating little crafts at home and selling them on Etsy. You know, maybe that kind of uh, endorsement on your homeowner's policy is going to be enough for that kind of business. But a pet care business has a lot of specific exposures, including wanting to make sure that you've got coverage for the animals, of course. Um, so really, uh your homeowner's policy is not going to be enough to cover a pet care business. And then I think the other misconception a lot of people have is they think that If they only work for their friends and family and only take care of pets owned by their friends and family, that they don't need business insurance because those people are never going to sue them. Mm. And it might be right that if you're taking care of your friend's dog and the dog gets hurt, maybe your friend's not going to sue you. But if the dog's really hurt badly or your friend thinks that you were negligent, your friend might not be your friend anymore. And suddenly you do have to pay for those pet bills or worse. Your friend's dog, while in your care, injures a third-party person. Maybe they bite somebody at the dog park. That person is not going to care that you're walking your friend's dog. So you need to have insurance to cover those kind of scenarios.
0: Yeah, that's what the one I was immediately thinking about. Of sure, your your mother, your father, your brother might not sue you, but it's what happens when the dog starts interacting with that third party, and that gets into us doing our best to fully understand how much risk we are actually taking on as a business. And what I see a lot of times is when people go, well, I'm only doing this part-time, but so once I get really busy, that's whenever I'll get it. And those kind of statements always terrify me because it just takes one incident to now all of a sudden completely change everything.
1: Exactly. There's nothing, I'm not a lawyer. I should make that very clear. I'm not a lawyer. I can't give any kind of legal advice, but uh, there's nothing in the law that I'm aware of that says, well, if you, you know, only work 10 hours a week, then you're not liable for things. You know, there's nothing like that. You're As soon as you take on the responsibility of somebody else's pet uh, and they're paying you, or even if they're not paying you, but you're taking on that responsibility for that animal and something happens, you're more likely than not going to be legally responsible. Yeah.
0: Well, and you mentioned homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance, and people may listen to this and go, well, I don't want to carry the insurance policy, so why can't I just demand or require my clients to carry those policies and have them on hand? Is that Would that be enough?
1: Well, I do think it's a good idea to ask your clients to confirm that they have a homeowner's or renter's insurance, but partially to protect you as the pet sitter. If you get injured by a client dog, um, they bite you. Or maybe you fall down the front steps at your client's house. You want them to have homeowner's or renter's insurance to help cover your medical bills. So I do think it's a good idea to make that a requirement. I don't think it's a mandatory thing. I don't tell all of the pets that are members to do that, but I don't think it's a bad idea. But that's not going to protect you if you're out walking a client dog. And again, that dog bites a third-party person. You are likely going to be held at least partially responsible, if not completely responsible, because that dog was in your care. Sometimes, uh, the homeowner's policy of the dog owner does get involved. So let's say um, there's a really bad dog, bite. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes the court will deem that the pet sitter is 50% responsible and the pet owner is 50% responsible or 60, 40, 70, 30, whatever. You know, sometimes they break the percentages down. So sometimes the homeowner's policy does get involved, Um but the pet sitter is usually also found at least partially responsible because the animal was in their care. And we've had situations where the pet owner did not have a homeowner's or renter's insurance, or their dog was excluded for one reason or another. And then the pet sitter ends up being pretty much 100% responsible because there's no other insurance to go after. Mm. So a lot of times that can kind of come into play as well so it's it's a way of, as you said, not a bad
0: idea looking at all the protections and all the risks that you're taking on, but also understanding that at some point there is responsibility on our ourselves to make sure that we are protected and covered if those situations do arise.
1: correct, correct. You never want to end up in a lawsuit and not have insurance or or at least at minimum an insurance company that's going to defend you. Most insurance policies there's a duty to defend, so even if you are not found that you were actually negligent in the situation. The insurance company has a duty to represent you in court. So sometimes just the defense costs alone are a really important thing to have. Speaking of that, one thing I do recommend, the Pet Centers Associates insurance policy, our defense costs are outside the limits of insurance. If you are not a member of Pet Sitters Associates, I recommend that you check on your insurance policy or check with your insurance agent to see how your defense costs are covered. Some insurance policies, the defense costs are inside the limits. And what that means is if you have a million dollars of bodily injury coverage and the claim is $800,000, but you go to court and you have $300,000 of defense costs, that $300,000 is taken out of the million. So all you have left is $700,000. And if the court says the costs are eight hundred, dollars you might get stuck with that extra one hundred dollars out of your own personal pocket. But ours, for petzer's associates, the defense costs are outside the limits. So even if there's $300,000 of defense costs, that full million dollars is still available for the bodily injury claim. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really great benefit. So it's something worth checking on to see how your insurance policy is
0: written. And remembering that the business insurance that we're talking about here is to cover more than just injury to the dog in damage to the home um or third-party interactions here there's so much more that goes into these kind of policies that we need to be aware of and that can be pretty daunting uh, just especially coming into the industry or maybe sitting down and if you've if you have insurance and you really want to put yourself to sleep at night read the policy coverage in full and just (laughs) and and you'll be really enlightened to everything it can be really really overwhelming i know so how would you encourage people to to get started trying to understand what they actually need and 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 where to go for help, I guess, really?
1: Well, I do think it's a great idea to read your insurance policy, but most yeah. people don't. Let's be honest. I, I do I recommend it, but we I know people don't. Um I, at minimum I would flip through and look at the titles of the endorsements and the exclusions. And then, you know, if something doesn't make sense to you, look at it closer. If you're a member of Pet Sitters Associates, we have a very detailed FAQ page. um, And you can always reach out if you've got a question that you don't understand or that isn't addressed on the FAQ page. Um, If you aren't members of Pet Sitters Associates, that's what your insurance agent is for. That person is a professional and reach out to that person and ask them questions on what your policy is. But just to get started, I would look at... You know, there's various pet sitting associations. Obviously, I'm a little biased. I I like pet sitters associates, but there are other ones out there. They're all very comparable. Um, You know, most of them don't have anything that's extraordinarily different than the others. Um, but it's worth looking at the various ones and figuring out which one fits with you best and then also just which one are you most comfortable with. I mean, Pet Sitters Associates this year is going to be celebrating its 25th anniversary. They started in 1998. And I think that is something important that we've been around a long time. There's a knowledge there. There's an experience level. I've personally been involved since 2003, um, but uh there's other associations that are newer and have just formed in the last five years or so. And I'm not saying anything negative about them, but you know, they haven't been around quite as long. So sometimes having, working with an association that has that experience and that you know, has the experience with a variety of claims can be a
0: really helpful thing. Okay. Because of the, like you said, variety of claims, the, there's a large diversity of things that can happen. And I mm-hmm. think for for us, what I do is look at where we look at the exclusions. I think that's a really good place to start. If nothing else, go look at your exclusions to see, am I operating outside of my current parameters of where I should be? Mm -hmm. And and you may be surprised about what's in there if you've never done this before uh, and you've never had a conversation with an insurance agent, just from a business perspective, looking, going, oh, what am I actually covered for? And really start thinking about, okay, well, you know, you can put together in your mind of, oh, well, this client asks me to do this. Is that actually a cover? Is this client has this kind of pet? Is that actually a cover? And really, once you start thinking that way, you'll you'll start to to really understand a lot more about the risks you're taking on and really where that liability lands. Uh, And it's not to to scare you into not doing certain things, but just going in with full head knowledge of what you're actually taking on is is really a, a good place to move forward.
1: Yeah, two comments on what you just said. One, I think I agree. Looking at the exclusions is really important because one of the things that's confusing about insurance and really confused the heck out of me when I first started reading insurance policies was one form provides you with coverage, and then another form takes it away. <laughs> so there's like, you read if you read just the one form, it's like, oh, oh okay. But you don't realize that 20 page, pages later in the policy, there's an exclusion that now takes that away from you. Yeah. So that is a really important thing to look at. And then the comment on the variety of services that you might be providing, I highly recommend that if you are offering anything out of What you consider traditional pet sitting dog walking services, it's good to look and make sure that you've got that coverage. With Pet Sitters Associates, our program is designed on an a la carte basis. So the basic membership provides you with coverage as a traditional pet sitter dog walker, going into the client's house, feeding the pets, putting them out in the backyard, going for walks, taking them to the dog park, um, administering medications, those kind of things. But then we have optional coverages that you can add on if you are offering pet daycare and boarding services, or if you're offering dog training or pet grooming. Um, Then we also have optional coverages where you can increase the limits for the animals in your care. And you want to make sure that if you suddenly, especially if you start offering something in the middle of the year, I think that's something that happens a lot. You join Pet Sitter's Associates or you purchase your insurance policy and you only offer a handful of services. And then six months later, you're like, oh, I'm going to start doing this too. And you don't think about your insurance. Maybe you have coverage. Maybe you need to add something else on. Maybe that's not going to be covered at all by the program you're in. And suddenly you have exceeded the scope of the program. That's how I usually phrase it with mm-hmm. Pet service Associate. So you, know, you are suddenly you're opening a boarding facility that has... 20 kennels. Yep. Now you're too big for us. I mean, we just, we're not designed for a, groups that are that large. So you have to think about those things as your business grows and develops. Either look at the website or reach out to Elizabeth at PSA headquarters. And if she doesn't know the answer, she sends you over to me. Um, so those kind of things, it's, it's always better to ask. And I absolutely guarantee there are no dumb questions. So I would rather have you ask Call me or email me, and have my response be, "Well, this is on the website." Then, yeah. not ask that question, and then I hate it. I hate it so much when there's a claim and someone doesn't have coverage. It just act, it like hurts my soul mm. if it's because they didn't purchase the necessary coverage. It happens all the time where we have a claim at the pet sitter's house, and they didn't purchase the pet daycare and boarding coverage. Yeah, and as soon as I see the claim, it's just like, oh no. I hope it's not big. <laughs> there's no <laughs> coverage for this. Yeah. So it's always better to check and to ask than to wait until there's a claim and then get the really bad news that you don't have the coverage.
0: Yeah. And it's again, sometimes you can be on the websites reading through stuff and it's confusing and going, does this apply to me? Does it, how does this apply to me? And just asking those questions because you mentioned a lot of people add services midway through, or are interested in new services. And I know a really big one in the last couple of years has been dog adventure hikes. Right. So in these services, uh, I, I, there's multiple ways to run this. But I know kind of when we talk about this, it's you go around and you collect all a bunch of dogs in a car, you know, five, six, or more, and then you drive them to a hiking trail in your area, and you spend four, five, six hours out hiking, and then you bring them back. From for the day, when when with that kind of service, Colleen, what other things should we be thinking about? Or you know, when you mentioned increasing limits, that was one where I thought, well, maybe the basic limits aren't going to be enough for that because of how kind of extreme that that situation is.
1: That is a very common new thing that we are seeing quite a bit within the Pet Sitter Associates program. There aren't any optional coverage that would be required for that a couple of things i would point out to somebody though one um we do have a 500 hundred dollar off-leash deductible the only deductible on the pet sitters associates program policy is the 500 hundred dollar off-leash deductible and it only comes into play when a client pet is voluntarily released from its leash outside of the confined fenced yard of the pet owner or the pet sitter if you have the pet daycare coverage so if a dog just slips the leash Or they're like a little Houdini and they get out of their harness. That's an accident. There's no deductible. But if you consciously choose to take a dog to the dog park and take them off their leash or or to go on an adventure hike and take them off their leash or go to the off-leash beach or whatever, there is a $500 deductible if that dog gets hurt. So that's something I always like to remind people in those scenarios. Also, our policy does provide coverage for the transporting of pets in your car, but we do not provide any automobile liability coverage, and there's no coverage for injuries to people or property in a car accident, that's going to fall under a commercial or personal auto policy. We're only going to cover the animals if they are injured in the car accident. So it wouldn't hurt to check with your personal auto insurance to make sure that there's not a problem with this, and there's usually not. Some pet sitters choose to get a commercial auto policy, Um, because they are driving it for their business. Also, that sometimes there can be issues if you are having your employees or independent contractors drive animals for your business. So that's something that you want to look at from an auto liability perspective. And that's not really my area of expertise, auto liability. But uh, I can say that that's something you want to look into with your insurance agent if uh, you're going to be doing that especially, again, if your employees or independent contractors are going to be driving the client pets around. Definitely worth a conversation to have with your auto insurance agent. Regarding the extra limits of insurance, so again, I'm always talking about pet sitters associates, so other associations and other insurance policies might be different, but our policy automatically provides Uh, Up to $1,000 of coverage for injuries to a client pet, regardless of negligence or legal liability on the part of the pet sitter, or up to $15,000 of coverage per occurrence uh, if there is some negligence or legal liability on your part. That $1,000 of coverage, we call that the veterinarian expense coverage. And that's a really special thing that you get through Pet Sitters Associates because normally insurance doesn't kick in unless you're negligent or legally liable. So a lot of insurance policies are not going to have that no negligence or no fault $1,000 of coverage. We now, in the last couple of years, have offered an optional coverage called expanded coverage for client pets. It's an extra $50. And it increases those limits. So you go from $1,000 to $2,500 where negligence is not required. And when, you do, when there is negligence, it goes from $15,000 to $25,000 per occurrence, only for 50 bucks, We had a lot of people asking for increased limits, and we didn't want to increase the limits on the basic membership because we would have had to increase the premium to everybody. So instead, we offered it as an option and about 20 to 25% of the members choose to increase those limits. And if you are going to be doing something unique like adventure hikes where you do feel like maybe there's a higher risk for a situation, maybe you're taking those dogs to places where there's rattlesnakes because we have had rattlesnake bites. Um, or if you feel like there's a, a risk of those animals getting into a fight uh, in that situation, it might be worth the extra $50 to increase your limits.
0: Well, and and just remembering, you know, in this situation, you've got 10 dogs off leash and they do get, you know, into rattlesnake den or a bear or mountain lions or these kind of things or run through cactus patches, all of a sudden you've got this extra liability now that you have on your hands. And that's where we we need to be thinking about kind of worst case scenario. Everything happens all at once. Mm -hmm. Do I have enough for that? And really, not being afraid to to add some zeros to those numbers as we try and figure that out.
1: Yeah, it's the worst case scenario. I mean, my I'm very paranoid. My husband says that I'm like a, the massive party pooper because all <laughs> I do is see see risk everywhere and everything fun to me. Equals somebody getting hurt, uh, but I do think that it's better to have that mindset sometimes yeah. than to think that the world is full of rainbows and puppy dogs and nothing bad's ever going to happen.
0: No, and you, we we talked a little bit about exclusions earlier, and I want to circle back to that because um, I know a lot of people on their businesses say you know they'll take care of all pets, great and small, we will care for them all, or whatever, so, you know, things like that. But are, are there exclusions for? Just to focus on dogs, like kinds of dogs, service dogs, are there limits generally that we need to be aware of or ask questions about when it comes to, to just dogs and whether we can actually take them on or not?
1: So looking at dogs specifically, within the Pet Sitters Associates program, we do not prohibit any specific kind of dog or any breed of dog. However, I do recommend that pet sitters follow the rules and regulations of their city, county, and state. I personally love pit bulls. I have friends who have pit bulls and I think they're wonderful dogs, but they are often the one that is targeted. So sometimes you see that like a village prohibits pit bulls. And I would not recommend then that a pet sitter take care of a pit bull in that village because it's illegal for that dog to be there. Mm. You know, it's not going to prohibit your coverage because there's no exclusion. But I'm sort of a rule follower, so I feel like maybe you shouldn't be doing that because that dog is technically illegal. The same thing with wolf hybrids. Uh, If you have that situation, you might want to look and see, is that a legal dog to have in your city or county? Um, The other thing about aggressive breed dogs is, we talked about this earlier, I would recommend if you're working with an aggressive breed dog, to confirm with the client that they have a homeowner's policy that provides coverage for that dog. Because if that dog bites you as the pet sitter, and especially if it's a bad bite, your best course of action is going to be go back to your client and ask them to submit a claim under their homeowner's policy policy. And if their homeowner's policy specifically excludes their dog because of the breed or because maybe that dog has a bite history themselves, Mm -hmm. now you're really in a tough situation and you're going to court and all of that stuff. You have to sue your client. Very uncomfortable and awkward for everybody involved. So I would suggest that any kind of aggressive breed dog, and those are typically pit bulls, Rottweilers, German Shepherds, Akitas, Dobermans, mastiffs and there's probably others um i can't think of them all on the top of my head but any kind of aggressive breed dog i would recommend that you make sure that your uh, client has a homeowner's policy that provides coverage And you asked about dogs but i would take that a step further if you're asked to work with an exotic pet mm-hmm. or with a farm animal so our policy does provide coverage for farm animals as long as they are not um, consumed or sold for profit. It's totally okay if you have chickens in your backyard and you as a family are eating the eggs or even if you're giving the eggs away to people. But as soon as you take those eggs and you're now selling them at the farmer's market for profit, that's not really a pet anymore. Mm. Um, The same thing with if, if you've got a pet goat and you're milking it for, and you're drinking the goat milk yourself, it's fine. But if you're selling the goat milk or if you've got cows and you're actually going to sell them for slaughter, those aren't pets anymore. Now we're talking commercial farming situation. So we do provide coverage for some farm animals. But if you are asked to cover to pet sit for a farm animal or an exotic animal like a monkey, you might want to make sure that the homeowner's policy provides coverage for that animal in case you get injured. I would also add to that the caveat The caveat, of uh, if you are uncomfortable taking care of that pet, there is nothing wrong with saying no. If you have no experience with monkeys, even though, believe me, I think it would be awesome to take care of a monkey, I have never worked with one. I do not know where to start. I probably am not the right person to care for someone's monkey
0: right again knowing those limits and where you're comfortable in and we've had we've had people reach out to us who are breeders uh who want us to take care of dogs who they are breeding for sale of those pups um we've had people who have reached out to us we've had a couple trainers who train um home defense dogs like mm. dogo, dogo argentinos and Bucerons and things like that where the dogs are bred and trained for these defense situations. In those two, you know, dog breeders and trainers where the dogs are bred for um, not just working dogs, but like home defense or personal defense, what kind of questions do I need to ask about that? Or is that just a go back to that homeowner's insurance policy to double check?
1: Well, I do think the homeowner's insurance policy is a good place to start. Dogs that are being bred or show dogs or service dogs, the one thing you want to keep in mind is the limits of insurance that are available. And again, I'm talking pet sitters associates. So if you do not have your insurance through pet sitters associates, make sure you look at your own policy. But a dog that's being bred, if if that dog dies, there could be considered a loss of income. Mm-hmm. So there's not just the value of the dog themselves, but is there a loss of income situation because this dog was being bred? Um is that going to be covered or is that not going to be covered? Are the limits available enough? Do you want to purchase the higher limits if that's an option for you with your insurance? I mean, they would look at those kind of things. The same thing with a service dog. Or if you, uh, you know, a lot of times like a, a canine officer is obviously living with the human police officer, their handler. And if you're asked to pet sit that canine officer dog that's a pretty high-valued animal. I mean, I think I think they're twenty, thirty thousand dollars easily. Yeah. You know, I've been involved in fundraisers and stuff like that for those kind of things. So I do think maybe you'd want to stop. Do I have enough insurance if something bad happens to this police officer, basically, because they're considered a police officer. The question on the dogs that are being trained for home defense. I'm gonna be honest, that makes me very nervous. Oh, yeah, because I, said I feel no. like, what if they bite you? That yeah. that dog is potentially has some aggressive nature to it. Yeah. We do not provide coverage for people who are doing tr- that kind of training. Sure. So we do have uh an optional coverage that can be added on for dog trainers so that we specifically exclude dog trainers that train police dogs, attack dogs, guard dogs, that kind of thing. We are not covering that as a trainer. Yeah. So there's no exclusion in regards to pet sitting those dogs, but it makes me nervous. Okay. Oh no, I, that, was my, <laughs> that was my
0: exact thought of of discussing with him and knowing that they're trained and they're all you know great and whatever. But there was that thought in the back of my mind going, yeah, but what if, right? They are they mm. trained for this exact scenario of stranger in home at weird hours. Like th- so it's incumbent upon us as the business owners to think through the risk that, we're willing- that we personally are willing to take on. That gets back to that training, the experience, and then what we're able to take on with the insurance policies and limits.
1: Exactly. And I think that you do need to look at your own comfort level, and it really is okay to turn jobs down. I know that that's difficult in this economy to turn down a job, and I I get that. But if I'm a big believer in intuition, and if that little voice in your head is telling you that maybe this isn't the right thing for you, then maybe you should listen to that.
0: Have you heard of our friends at Time to Pet? Claire from Acting Critter Sitters has this to say. Time to Pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you're looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com confessional. Uh, I know we're talking about care here and um, kind of in policies. Are there imp- are there uh, requirements for policies that we need to be aware of for like minimum care requirements uh, before th- that are necessary for us to take on a client or not? And I'm specifically thinking a lot about like wh- like visits every 24 hours or a lot of cat clients will ask us, can you come by every three days? Um, are are those kind of visits or what should we be thinking about from an insurance perspective when we get those requests?
1: So that's a great question. Our policy does not go into that level of detail because obviously every situation is going to be different. So we don't have anything actually in the policy wording that requires a certain number of visits in 24 hours. Um, Especially because sometimes we have situations where pet sitters will split the job. I can talk about that a little bit too, but um, I would, if, If your client is asking you to come less frequently than what you feel, you're the professional. You have experience as a pet sitter. So if they are asking you to come less frequently than what you feel is necessary, again, maybe turn the job down. If you really feel like this is not the best thing for the animal, the animal should come first in my mind. But if let's say they they want you, it's a cat, and they say, we only want you to come once every 24 hours or once every other day. I would recommend getting that in writing. I'm a big proponent of documentation. And if you have something in writing from the owner stating that Fluffy only needs to be checked on once every 48 hours, if something happens during the 48 hours that you were not there, I think it's pretty easy to say that that's not your fault. You came when they were you were told to come. It's not really your fault that, something, that Fluffy fell down the stairs and laid there for a day because no one checked on it you are following the guidelines. So I would recommend that. um, If you are asked to split a job, either with another professional pet sitter or with like a neighbor or a family member, again, you want to get that in writing. So let's say that the situation where they want you to come at lunchtime and then the neighbor kid is going to come in the evening. You want to get something in writing from the owner stating exactly who is coming when And what the requirements are of each individual person and then everyone involved should have a copy of that documentation so that if you come at noon and you're not coming again until the next day at noon, if something happens in between those two visits, again, you have the documentation to show, is that really my fault? Mm. Because that neighbor kid was supposed to come at six o'clock and that's not really my fault anymore. I think having that kind of documentation could be really good. The same thing if you know there's going to be another person accessing the house, if they're going to have a cleaning service coming in during the day, or if they have contractors or construction happening during the day when you're pet sitting, having that in writing can really help uh, should something happen.
0: Well, I want to stick with the documenting documentation process here. So in that in that scenario, would would text messaging suffice as long as we save those or screenshot those and put them somewhere? Or does this need to be a formal letter email? What makes good documentation as as a business for these kind of things?
1: Well, the more documentation, the better. Um, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't really know in a court of law. You know, Judge Judy always wants everything to be signed, right? Yeah. So it probably wouldn't hurt if it's actually part of your contract, that if you want it to be signed, or if it's part of your contract that's being amended. So maybe the last time you had the contract with the person, it was your traditional contract. And then the next time they've said, we're going to have the neighbor kid come in the afternoon. We you Actually, I would recommend amending the contract and having it re-signed because I think that could help if it's actually like a contractual thing. Mm-hmm. I think text messages are better than nothing, and I'm certainly not going to go to the level of saying that everything that you talk about needs to be signed. Um, but if there's text messages that you send a text, they reply confirming, you want to keep those, screenshot them uh, or whatever you need to do. Emails, the same thing. Make sure you keep those emails. Um, you know, that's sort of the rule of thumb in law is seven years because someone could come back seven years later and sue you. Yeah. I don't know if you need to keep stuff for seven years or not. That's sort of the traditional rule of thumb for tax documents and all that kind of stuff. So probably wouldn't hurt. And someone might come back and sue you later. Typically, if an animal is hurt, you know about it within a couple of years. <laughs> you yeah. know, you usually you know pretty fast. <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. Well, it- <laughs> Yeah, you know, like We do with- have lawsuits that come in late. I mean, just a couple months ago, we had a lawsuit that came in for an incident that happened a couple of years ago mm-hmm. where the dog had, had injured somebody on the sidewalk. The pet sitter didn't really think that the person had been injured that badly. They exchanged contact information. They never heard anything ever again. So the pet sitter didn't submit a claim. And then two years later, the injured party sued the dog owner who then in turn came back to the pet center. So you do want to keep stuff for a while. And that's, I, I'll be honest, that's a rarity that it's two years later, but it does happen. So it's good to have that documentation and,
0: you know, keep it for a while. Yeah. Cause you don't know, know what happens if it was a minor bite and then two years, a year goes by and all of a sudden they have, you know, they're trouble having trouble with their hand or that's, it's painful. And it's a lot of these things can manifest years down the line. And then somebody goes, Oh, didn't that, didn't you get bit by that dog one time? And they go, Oh my gosh. You're right. And it can go from there. So keeping things, having things with timestamps and date stamps, you know, it's one thing about photos. I love to take photos, but I know, you know, you can mess with metadata on photos even. So here's where that little bit of paranoia comes in of what's something in the photo with a date and timestamp that 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 is going to be there so that I can prove when the damage took place, how it happened and everything like that too.
1: Photos are great. Uh, I get very confused by the technology of how people can manipulate the photos. But I do think that if a claim occurs, taking photos and getting witness statements, getting contact information from everybody who is around, that's really important. Um, so like if you have a, a dog bite incident at a dog park, you want to make sure that you get the contact information for anybody who was a witness. That could come in handy later. Maybe we'll never need to talk to that person, but maybe we will. So get their name and phone number, take photos. If the dog damages something inside the client's house or you break something inside the client's house, snap a quick photo. You know, we all have cameras on our phone. Take a quick picture. (laughs) Especially if the, you know, the owner comes home and they throw that item away and they're like, oh, you have to replace that teapot you broke.
0: Yeah.
1: I I don't have a photo of it. What kind of teapot was it? Oh, I threw it away. Well, okay. So, um, or they clean something up right away. You know, you spilt something on their rug and, um, you know, they call you three months later and say, oh, by the way, I had to hire a professional cleaner to come and clean that. I want you to reimburse me. Well, maybe having a picture of that initial damage would come in handy.
0: I think about that a lot for dogs who have diarrhea on carpet of going, we need to take a before and after photo, not just one photo, but from multiple angles with lights on, with lights off to document. How much cleaning was done? What was the state of it when we left? Uh, And then sending that to the client uh, at that time, too, can help a lot so that I know just for us, we don't want people to be surprised about things that they walk into if we say, oh, there was a mess, but we got it cleaned. Well, my Mm -hmm. definition of clean is very different than a lot of people's definition of clean. So I want need to set those expectations early so that we can have that conversation before they arrive and what could need be necessary to move forward on.
1: Oh, that's very smart.
0: <laughs> now, I I did want to ask about this because we kind of were talking about like exceptions and things like that, and I I do see a lot of of business owners who kind of use insurance as a scapegoat for denying coverage or not not denying coverage, but denying service to clients. So they'll say things like, um, "Oh, I I'm not going to job share or have somebody come in because my insurance doesn't allow it." When really they're just saying that because they don't like that or they don't like the policy. And so I'm I'm always curious about kind of what this does as an industry as far as damaging people's uh perceptions or or how that shapes people's perceptions of an industry when we do that kind of practice.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I'll be honest, I have recommended to people that they use that as an excuse sometimes, okay. you know, because maybe they are uncomfortable admitting that they're scared of pit bulls. You know, so if you don't want to admit that to the person or you're scared of their monkey and you want to use the excuse that your insurance doesn't cover it and the client's never going to call and ask us. So there's part of me that says that's fine. You know, if you want to use that as the scapegoat of why you can't take that job. I don't really think that it hurts the industry, either the pet sitting industry or the insurance industry. Hmm. Because I think that sometimes that people are just, they don't want to hurt someone's feelings, you know? (laughs) So I kind of get it. Um, But at the same time, I tend to be like an uber honest person. So I would personally be more likely to just say, I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't like the idea of job sharing because I'm not then in control of the situation. It's just not something I'm comfortable with. It would be better if you talked to another pet sitting business and I can give you some recommendations. I have some friends, maybe reach out to them and see how they feel about it. Or maybe you'd say, Hey, I can do the job sharing, but only if the other person is my friend, because I know them and trust them. Yeah. Um, Or it might be with the monkey or the pit bull or something. Just be honest. I I, I know pit bulls are wonderful dogs, and I know that it's a stereotype, but I'm nervous about them. Or I'm nervous that your dog is just so large and strong that it's going to pull me over. And it just makes me nervous. I'm sure that your dog is wonderful, but I'm not the right pet sitter for you. I tend to be a very honest person, but I also can understand... Or maybe you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, <laughs> you know. I can but, see both sides
0: of it, yeah. and we've 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 said that as well. We, I mean, we've when, but mostly when we knew for a fact that our insurance excluded certain things. Of going, this is not something that we can take on. A because we're not comfortable, but also we try and give it multiple examples of this. It's when people say things like oh, it doesn't cover this. And it's like, well, did you read your insurance policy? And I'm like, well, I have no idea. And it's like, well, that I would do that first <laughs> instead of just taking someone else's word for it because that can also propagate. If people hear insurance doesn't cover certain things and they just assume theirs doesn't either. So they deny service to these people when maybe you know, other things could come up. So I think just, just really knowing your policy uh, is, is, is the best place to start. So you can, with confidence, say when or when it doesn't apl- apply.
1: Yeah, and I, I do think that using that excuse, which again, I'll be honest, I have told people it's fine to say that if that makes you more comfortable in the situation. Um, I think that the, the challenge of that is is if you advertise on your website that you're a member of a certain association or that you get your insurance through somebody, now your client, they're going to believe you that your insurance doesn't cover it and now maybe they're not going to reach out to another pet sitter in your area because their website shows the same insurance. Mm. So you've just lost the job for somebody else who maybe would have been comfortable taking it, but your client just assumes that they're going to have the same problem. Right. So I do think that that could be a negative impact of, you know, telling that little fib. <laughs>
0: And we have to be cognizant of that, of just the broader implications for a lot of this stuff in our actions, both as a a company, how that impacts the the industry, but also how our actions impact the services that we're renting to the clients. And you've mentioned a word come up a couple times now of, of negligence. And I am curious about what. When is something deemed negligent? Uh, is that reflective on our training, our background, um, or, or how is that really defined through the claims process?
1: Well, negligence is that you, there's a duty of care that you as a professional are expected to have in that situation. Uh, and if you did not have that duty of care, oftentimes you're deemed negligent, or if some other ways of looking at it are, what would a prudent or reasonable person have done in that situation? If they would have done something different than you, maybe there's some negligence. If there's something that you could have done differently that would have prevented that claim, that might be some negligence on your part. Uh, so that's kind of an easier way to look at it. Usually when I'm explaining to like our summer interns how negligence works, I just simply say, Did you do something wrong or is there something you could have done differently? Then there's probably some negligence in that situation. I think that's sort of the easiest way to look at it. From an insurance perspective, the negligence piece of it's important, but really more important is are you liable? So are you legally responsible for what happened? So, maybe an example to look at is my dog personally has torn both of her ACLs. So, I have a lot of experience with that. And it's one of the most common claims that we see are ACL tears. So, if you're walking a client dog on the sidewalk and the dog steps down off of the curb, they just step down funny and they tear their ACL. Is that your fault? Did you do anything wrong? Is there anything you could have done differently? have prevented that injury? Probably not. I mean, I'm basing this on a hypothetical scenario, um, but you probably aren't negligent. There's probably nothing you did wrong that caused that ACL tear. So within the Pet Setters Associates program, because we have that automatic $1,000 of coverage that does not require negligence, you might still get $1,000 of coverage to help that client dog. Again, that's not going to be in every insurance policy. That's special to associates, not all policies have that. But uh, if you are not negligent, um, you know, they're only going to get that coverage or nothing, depending on your policy. But let's say that same ACL situation happens while you were playing fetch in the client's backyard and you throw the ball way too high and the dog does one of those crazy jumps the dogs do and then lands funny and tears its ACL well, no, maybe, maybe there's some negligence. Maybe you weren't being responsible in that situation because you threw the ball too high for that dog to catch. You should know how to do that better. You're a professional. Mm. Again, hypothetical claim. Every claim is going to be paid based on the individual circumstances involved in that specific situation. There's my disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, hypothetically, there might be some negligence in that situation because you threw the ball too high. So you're going to potentially get more insurance coverage. And I know it sounds really weird that you get more insurance if you're negligent, because some people feel like you know that that's an odd, an odd thing. But like I said, uh, insurance usually requires negligence for there to be liability, and therefore for there to be coverage. Yeah. So you need to look at it from the perspective of both negligence and liability uh, more so than anything else.
0: So so is there an increasing expectation on people as we become more, more trained, more certifications, more, uh, more experience of, well, is that, I guess, is that applied differently if, to somebody who's been doing this for 10 years and has a bunch of letters after their name versus somebody
1: who's just started? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I'd have to look back at actual claims and see how much that impacted things. But I do think, from a perspective of you're a professional, and if you are describing yourself as an expert in something, be that pet sitting or something else, if you're an expert masonry contractor, (laughs) there is a higher level of expectation in the work that you're going to do. If I hire you know, some guy that's been doing masonry work for, you know, six months to put in my new sidewalk versus the guy who is advertising himself as an expert and has a whole bunch of letters after his name. There is a higher level of expectation of that other guy because he's been doing it a long time. So I do think the same thing could be said about pet sitters. You know, I don't know that it's necessarily the years in business or if it's, you know, accreditations or classes that you've taken, but I do think that there is a level of care that is expected a professional pet sitter. I definitely feel like I personally would have higher expectations of you, Colin, taking care of my dog than if I asked my daughter to do it. You know, she's not a professional pet sitter. She's doing me a favor, one, I wouldn't do that because I want a professional <laughs> But But uh, um, I have a higher level of expectation from you because you have a experience, you own a business, you're a professional.
0: Yeah. And that's something for us to remember as well, again, of, of where this, where that, Expectat- the, I love that word, expectations of we, of through our marketing, through our experience, through our training, that raises the expectation of us, which means that there are more scrutinizing eyes on us and our work and our business. And whether it's a misthrown ball or whether it's little details throughout the house, that expectation that people view us more, more harshly, I think, when, when we are putting ourselves out there in that way. And that's another reason to make sure that we have everything lined out and that we are Doing our best to meet and exceed those expectations, um, but also having the insurance to cover when when we fall short or when things happen, and and to make sure that we are covered.
1: Yeah, everybody buys insurance hoping that you never need it, right? right? You, you you buy your auto insurance hoping you never have a car accident. You buy your homeowner's insurance hoping you never have a fire or a dog bite or someone fall on your front steps. You know, we all buy insurance hoping that you ever never ever ever need it. But you have to have it for not only the peace of mind, but sometimes it's a requirement. So some cities require pet sitters to have insurance or some um, parks, you know, in the Marin County area of California, which is the San Francisco area. If you're a professional pet sitter and you are walking a dog in a city park, you are required to have insurance. And they actually require that you provide proof of insurance. So different areas are different uh, in those requirements. But yeah, that's definitely... I have a, a lot of anxiety when I find out people who don't have insurance, you know, taking us back to the beginning of the conversation where I'm like, oh, I only take care of my friends and family. No, no, buy insurance. <laughs> Get it? Insurance. You need it. It's not that expensive either. Yeah. I mean, like the Pet Sitters Associates basic insurance. If all you're doing is traditional pet sitting and dog walking and you don't need any of the extra a la carte options, it's less than $200.
0: Yeah, and and it's when you put into perspective of of two hundred dollars uh for for coverage or tens of thousands of dollars out of your pocket for an accident or a bite or something like that or even or even more than that. Um, I know just touching back on people asking you for it. Um, we've been asked by apartment buildings and assisted living facilities to provide our insurance policy to them because we are operating on their property and they want to know who's there, that they're covered, that that they're not taking on liability because from their perspective, we are now, we are foreigners in their homes and they don't know who we are and th- they need to know that we are accepting the liability and it's not on them now because mm-hmm. nobody, they, they don't want that. So um, just having that on hand to provide them also helps um, elevate you as well when people can ask, or maybe they don't ask and you can say, Hey, I'll go ahead and email you my insurance policy so that you, know and you have that peace of mind as well
1: absolutely and and personally as a um consumer i like to ask for confirmation of insurance my husband's really embarrassed when i ask the contractors for proof of insurance but hey they're coming on my property they're putting a new roof on the house i want to make sure they've got proper insurance in place um I, i something that i would encourage i i assume the majority of your listeners are pet sitters but if you have um pet sitting clients or just animal lovers who are listening as well, I do recommend that you ask your pet sitter or pet care provider for proof of insurance. It's uh, if they get grumpy about it, that should be a red flag.
0: <laughs> well, and I think for one of those reasons is just the claim amounts uh, and what, what claims can happen. so I would, would like to get some idea from you about maybe how claim amounts have changed over the years uh, to give some idea of what exactly we're talking about, kind of, where where this can end up?
1: Well, the, the cost of everything has gone up. So veterinarian costs have gone up. Um, the cost to get something cleaned or fixed have gone up. So just inflation in general, the fact, we all know, we're all dealing with inflation right now at the grocery store and at the gas station. And that's also impacting the cost of claims. So we see such a wide variety of claims. Um, you know, some of them are a couple hundred dollars to take the dog to the vet to get them checked out. Maybe they sniffed up a foxtail in their nose or they, you know, ate something out on a walk that they shouldn't eat. That's usually only a couple hundred dollars, right? But if the dog needs surgery, maybe they ate something that's now stuck in their intestines and they need full-on surgery or they tear that ACL or they, um, something like that. That can be thousands of dollars easily, because of the limits of insurance that are available for the animals, you know, we max out. So, you know, the, the most we're ever going to pay is 15000 or 25000 if they purchase the expanded coverage for the animals themselves. So those are the maximums. The bigger claims that we see are, are going to be on the side of the property damage or the bodily injury. Mm. So some of the bigger claims that we've seen are things like A pet sitter was told to not use a specific bathroom in the person's apartment, use this bathroom, not that bathroom. And they use the incorrect bathroom. The toilet floods, causes flooding, damages that apartment plus the apartment below. And that can be tens of thousands of dollars easily. Right. Um, So that kind of thing. Or we see something, the worst ones usually are bodily injury. So when a dog bite to a third-party person, those can get very large very fast. And again, sometimes they're only a couple hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars, and they're not that bad. But if the bite gets infected or if they have to go to the hospital via ambulance, they need stitches, they miss work, they have to have physical therapy, They have scarring, so now that there's that issue, or they need plastic surgery, those can get into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. One of our largest claims to date was a few years ago, um, actually probably almost 10 years ago now, but the the pet sitter was walking the client dog, and an older lady was on the sidewalk, and the client dog didn't even make contact with her, but the dog jumped up startled the third-party woman. She slipped, tripped on the curb, fell, and hit her head. And there was um, you know, brain damage issues. She was in like, a medically-induced coma for a while. It was really, really bad. And the dog didn't even touch her. But uh, it ended up in a court situation. And it ended up being, I want to say it was like $1.6 million, million dollars—is what the settlement was and ended up being split 50-50 between the pet sitter and the homeowner's policy of the dog owner. So our policy paid $800,000 uh, for the injuries to that woman. And then the homeowner's policy paid $800,000. And this is a little advertisement for a personal umbrella. because If you have your own homeowner's policy, you might want to look and see what your limits of insurance are <laughs> for injuries. If, you're, if your dog bites somebody, Uh, If your homeowner's policy only provides you with, say, $500,000 of coverage, you might want to look at seeing if you can increase those limits or if you can purchase a personal umbrella or excess policy that will increase those limits Mm -hmm. so that you have more insurance for That or for a car accident. So I'm getting off topic a little bit, but I'm an insurance professional. So on a personal note, you might want to look at your personal insurance and make sure that you've got proper insurance in place to protect your personal assets in a car accident or something like that as well.
0: Yeah, well while we're sitting here talking about protecting our business, we need to make sure that our personal life is also covered as well. So it's always a good reminder to no matter what time of year is to double check your insurance whether for business or personal, <laughs> personal yes.
1: <Yeah>. And, and <laughs> see what's
0: changed over those years, do that good review of have I not just for the business, have I added services, changed services, taking on different kinds of dogs, am I specializing in something? But personally, have I got a dog, gotten rid of a dog, have I moved, have I what what have I done in my life that Yeah, could, did you
1: put in the swimming pool? Or- buy a trampoline is your kid now driving yeah you know all those things and you know insurance policies on a personal basis can change too so you want to make sure that you look at your insurance policy when it comes in the mail to see if suddenly there's a new exclusion on there suddenly your pit bull is excluded you want to make sure that you're aware of that kind of change on your personal insurance and that you can look for other options for yourself
0: yeah, and, and this discussion about about policy amounts and filling out claims and stuff, I think, is a perfect segue into a question about when we should be concerned of being dropped from coverage. Um, I see a lot of people who go, "I don't want to turn that in. I don't want to file a claim because I don't want to be dropped. I'm worried about being dropped as a client or being dropped for coverage. How from 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 us business owners is how." How do we navigate that uh, of of needing to file a claim or wanting to file a claim, but also being worried about dr- being dropped from coverage?
1: I absolutely understand that concern. I think we've all had a fender bender that we've paid out of pocket because we didn't want to submit it to our auto insurance, right? I think that's a pretty common thing where you just you don't want to worry about it, so you just pay for it. I totally yeah. get it. Every insurance company is going to be different. Um, so again, I'm talking about Pet Sitters Associates. But we do not have a three strikes and you're out type of policy. When we non-renew somebody, it's very subjective. I look at a variety of things. I look at how long you've been a member, how many claims you've had, how far apart or close together were they? Is there a pattern of negligence? Um, Are they larger claims? Are they smaller claims? I get less concerned about like a small lost key claim than I am concerned about. A whole bunch of dog fights at your dog daycare Mm. you know if there's a pattern that starts making me think that this frequency issue is going to eventually create a severity issue then i sometimes do have to look at non-renewing you and it's not something i enjoy doing i don't like non-renewing people i feel like i'm firing someone and i hate doing it but i have to protect the program as a whole so if i do have a member who i feel like has had excessive claims and again that's very subjective I will send out a letter to them non renewing them. If you get that letter in the mail and you don't understand why you're being non renewed, you can always call and talk to me. And I would say this in any case, if you get non renewed by your insurance company, call your insurance agent and ask why. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, sometimes there's some wiggle room in it. I don't change my mind very often, but I have changed my mind. I remember non renewing someone a few years ago and they called and they said, well, the claims that were involved all involved, these two employees who I no longer have. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, let's reconsider this. So it never hurts to to call and have that conversation. Please don't call and yell at me. Uh, <laughs> that's the only thing I don't. <laughs> that's not how you're going to get me to change my mind <laughs> if you call and yell at me and call me bad names. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to have a conversation, it never hurts. But the, it, it's it's hard to say what a person should do if you know you've already had multiple claims and it's something small and you want to pay it out of pocket, I can understand wanting to do that. Um, You know, but I also can understand, I mean, that's why you have insurance is to have claims. And something that might seem small now, if there's a possibility of becoming bigger, you don't want to pay a claim that could potentially become an issue later because that could cause a problem that you initially paid it. So it's one thing of like, you broke a vase at the, pet's at the client's house and you're just going to buy them a new vase. That's probably not going to escalate into something more. Right. But if the client dog bit the neighbor, you probably don't want to pay for their medical bills because that could get worse. So I definitely, any bodily injury claim I think should be submitted regardless of the size because that could become something way, way worse. Any bodily injury claim. I'm going to say that again. Any bodily injury claim should get submitted to your insurance company.
0: Yeah,
1: I probably would say 99% of the animal injury claims should be submitted to. Mm -hmm. Again, I can understand if you've had other claims and you're concerned about it, but those also can become something more. You think it's just a sprained knee and now it's an ACL tear. You know, it's probably better to submit it. Yeah, But maybe that, you know, broken item. If you're not, that's probably not going to escalate, but that's why you have insurance. So, yeah. Well, you said that phrase, you you,
0: trying to make sure that a frequency issue doesn't turn into a severity issue. I I, I think that's an, an amazing perspective to view our business, how it operates and what, what is happening? Because if you are submitting tons of claims, you really need to take a moment to sit down and ask, "What's going on? Why is this? Is it the two? Is it is it the employees that I have working here? Is it our particular clients where issues just seem to come up out of nowhere?" Look for those patterns to protect yourself. Exactly. That, that's where we need to be thinking of first and for, first and, and primary of importance is is there more I can be doing? Is there more training, oversight, limits of of services that we offer? Whatever that is. So it doesn't get to that point. But that, the onus is on us really at that point to go, what is going on? And ask those hard questions and look for changes that we need to make.
1: In our industry, we call that risk management. Mm-hmm. So you want to look at the situation and see, is there something I could be doing better to prevent this from happening again? I personally would look at every accident, every claim as a learning opportunity. You know, some accidents just happen and there is yeah. nothing you could have done to prevent this even if you made a mistake you know even if you were negligent stuff, stuff, stuff happens right yeah. um don't beat yourself up about it everyone has claims and it happens but I would if you see the same thing happening over and over or you feel like you know we see claims where sometimes somebody accidentally gave a cat too much insulin or mm. uh, maybe you need to have better training on how to give insulin. Or maybe that's something that if you're not comfortable with doing, maybe you shouldn't be doing that anymore. So maybe having that risk management talk with yourself, and you know, it's a lot of self awareness, and which is not everybody has. <laughs> but you know, being able to look at yourself and self critique yourself on how you can improve things.
0: Yeah, or maybe, man, I have I've had six dogs this year that I that I walk that have all had ACL injuries. Hmm, what? Is it what? Let's look at the breed of dogs. Look at the age of the dogs. Look at where we're, we're walking. How we're walking. Let's just ask those questions, uh, and 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 limit where necessary. And that's like you said. That's that's where that risk management comes in. And we do that every day, whether we call it risk management in our brains or not. I'm mm-hmm. calling I'm sure that you just have risk management signs all over in your, <laughs> your head when you're thinking about stuff. But most of us go, oh, I don't want to do that anymore because I I felt weird about that. That was risk management when you didn't take on that client. Yep. You sent something was weird, and applying that in a more direct cognitive um, uh, manner is is where we start. Uh, it improves a lot of stuff about our businesses.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that um, having that reflection is a good thing. You know, it's sort of I've really worn off on my husband over the years. When we first started dating, every time I would see a rug that was. Flipped over at a store, I would stop and I'd fix it because that's a slip and fall hazard, right? Yeah. I don't want someone to trip over that and, and hurt themselves. And after we've been married for a few years, I started noticing that he was doing that. <laughs> I'm <was> like, yay! <laughs> I've trained you now.
0: <laughs> I, that's great. <laughs> More safe places and you're So, so pro tip: follow Colleen and her husband as they travel around, and you will avoid slip. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, <laughs> I think that's just those little habits that we build, and then we can educate others and clients and other sitters in our area. And uh, that's how we all get better, is doing little things like that. Uh, Colleen, I know we have talked about a lot, and I really want to thank you for your time today and for sharing about how we can be better at understanding our risk management, uh, decrypting parts of our policies, and knowing when we need to really look at um, increasing limits and what that means for our businesses. But again, this is a big big topic and and, uh, and there's a lot involved here. So how can people get in touch with you, um, ask follow-up questions, or um, just just see where they stand with their insurance?
1: The best place to start for Pet Sitters Associates would be their website, which is petsitllc.com. Again, that's petsitllc.com. There's a lot of great information on the insurance options page, as well as the FAQ page. If there's any questions on there that you have more questions about, uh, you can certainly reach out to Elizabeth at PSA headquarters. She's their office manager and typically available from 11 to 3 and she can be reached via email at info@petsittersllc.com. At if you have a specific insurance question, uh, either if you are a member of Petsitters Associates or not, you can certainly give me a call. My direct dial number is 715 852 one two eight two. Again, that's seven one five. Eight five two one two eight two. I'm typically available from uh seven thirty to four thirty central time. I'm happy to talk with you about your insurance coverage. I certainly uh will encourage you to join Pet Sitters Associates. That's the one I work with. But I as an insurance professional I'm always happy to, to try to give you some guidance if necessary.
0: Wonderful, Colleen. And I'll have those in the show notes and on the website uh, so people can click right to those. Um, Colleen, again, as always, thank you so much. I, this, has been, this has been such a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Colin. Anytime.
0: The key to getting the most out of your insurance is to know your business. Understand deeply the services that you want to offer to the clients that you're after. Depending on those two things, your insurance will change and the needs of your insurance will change and adapt over time as your company evolves. So always have your finger on the pulse of what you're offering and how you're offering it and to whom the offering is being made. And then that way you make sure you're always covered and these kind of questions come up. So no matter who you're using for insurance, come to them and explain to them in detail the kind of company that you're running, the kind of services that you're offering and actually see if you're as covered as you think you are. Because I know from lots of experience and from talking with a lot of people, That you'll be surprised about the exclusions that come up in this kind of service and in this industry. We want to thank today's sponsor, Timed Pet, for making today's show possible. And thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. We'll be back again soon.